You may be seated. I was about eight years old or so, and uh, my family had been through some difficult times. Uh, my grandfather died, my, that was my mom's dad, he had died a few years before that. And then uh, my mom had a major stroke, and there was yet another major stroke to come after that. And then, um, uh, and then also, uh, my parents were going through some very difficult marital struggles. So they began seeking. They were looking for answers. And one of the places they turned was to, um, to what then was called New Age. And they began to get involved in, in um, things like crystals, holding crystals above their hand and watching the crystals move certain ways. And supposedly that was telling them something. Uh, we began to, to practice with a Ouija board at home. And uh, ultimately, my parents hired a medium to come into the home. And she came in, they invited a bunch of friends. And the, the whole night, that medium just met individually with people and talked about things with, with all of them. When, uh, as, a, as an eight-year-old, I remember not really thinking too much about what she would say about these people's future, but what stuck with me was that she was getting things right from their past. She was able to tell them things from their past that had happened, and, and uh, I remember as a, a child just being very struck with that. A couple of years ago, I read an excellent book called At the Foot of the Snows, and it was by a missionary whose, whose uh, ministry was to develop the Bible in a language uh, for a, a, a uh, local group in Tibet and Nepal that were living up in the mountains. And of course, in that area uh, and, and in many of these areas throughout the world, occult practices are a regular thing. And uh, that was part of this this. Uh, uh, part of this community. Uh, there were witch doctors and a lot of drugs because drugs are usually connected with the occult in that way. And then, uh, uh, so there was at one point where the missionary said, I heard a, a lot of tumult outside my house and I looked out and the whole, the whole village was rallying and yelling and, and very, um, almost in, in a, a frenzy. And they were, they were taking this pig up the mountain. And when they finally got to the end of the mountain, they threw the pig overboard and of course the, the pig perished. And so as the people were, were coming down, he, he was able to meet them. He said, what's going on? And they said, well, we did that because we need, we need rain. We haven't had rain in too long and we need rain. And he said, that afternoon, it got cloudy and it began to rain. Occult practices throughout the world handled very differently in the West than it is in most other places, partly because we're a very naturalistic society. And so we deny the existence of, of that sort of thing and we minimize it. And yet in most other societies, it's a very real thing. Today, we are going to look at a strange passage in 1 Samuel. We're nearing the end of the book and the end of our journey through 1 Samuel. We're looking at chapter 28. And in this chapter, Saul has not heard from God and he wants to hear from God. And so instead of going to God the right way, he goes to a medium and seeks some answers. And so we're gonna look at that today and I think what we'll find is there's a lot in it for us today as we look at this. So let's pray together now. Father, just help us as we open your word. We want your truth, we want you to speak, and we want to listen. Help us to want to listen.
Give us ears that would be eager to hear and hearts that are eager to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna start reading this passage in verse three. The passage opens up with two facts that we already know from the past. First is, now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. So we already know Samuel is dead. Samuel, Samuel, the spiritual leader of Israel, the man who led Israel and, and kept them close to the Lord. Samuel, the man who anointed Saul as the first king. Samuel, the man who when Saul sinned against the Lord came and gave God's message to him and said, the, the kingdom will be taken away from you. Samuel, who anointed King David, but who was not king yet. He is a king in waiting, soon to be king once Saul is off the scene. We also learn that Saul, at some point in his life, had this, this moment of obedience, and he expelled all the mediums and spiritists from the land. He banned witchcraft from the land. And this was in accordance with what was written in the law, both in Leviticus 19 and 20, and also in Deuteronomy, which we have before you here. This is the words of the Lord. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. So God here clearly condemns the use of witchcraft, the use of, of occult practices. This would include things like channeling, speaking to, to the people from the dead, seances, Ouija boards, tarot cards, horoscopes, astrology, crystals, palm reading. These things would all be included in this, this version of what God is condemning here. And God condemns this because remember that God is a communicator. Our God is the great communicator. From the beginning, he spoke and the worlds came into existence. Jesus is the word of God. The, and and Jesus is the word of God, and which is what we have here as well. God is a communicator. And he desires for us to go to him for that communication and nowhere else. And so he forbids the practice of going to the occult, going to Satan, going to, to anything demonic to get information. He's saying, if you want information, come to me. I will give it. That's what he does. He desires to communicate. He is the great communicator. And if we seek him, he will give the answers to us. So the first application we have for today is purge the evil. Purge the evil people. This is serious. I know that we live in a time where we're so naturalistic that we, we avoid and we minimize spiritual powers. But there is a spiritual realm that is, is even greater than our physical realm. And it, is, it, it exists, and we treat it with games. We, we, we have uh, TV shows and ghost hunters and, and haunted houses and all these things. And all of these things open up 
a door to us that we are not meant to go through. And maybe, maybe you're, you're here and you, you haven't treated it as a game. Maybe you actually take it seriously and you're a regular reader of the horoscopes or you, you engage Ouija boards or you've been to a medium or something like that. So the question I have for you is, if you are seeking truth, why would you go to the father of lies? Right? A medium cannot tell you the truth. Think about this. Right? We go, you know, a person would go to a medium and say, you know, how is my relative who, who died you know, last year? Is the medium going to be able to tell you, oh, your, your relative is with Jesus in heaven, celebrating eternal life? Or is that medium going to be able to tell you, oh, your, your relative is suffering the, 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 the pains and the anguish of hell and they will be there for all eternity? They're not going to tell you that. They cannot possibly tell you the truth. Though they have the power of hell, they deny the horrors of hell. And isn't that what Satan does? He makes hell look beautiful. He makes the dark things look like light. He's a master at that. And so for us today, we, we, have, to, we have to realize that, that these things are serious. And we must make effort to purge the evil. If you have a Ouija board, throw it out. Don't bring it to goodwill. Throw it out. You know, if you are, are a regular reader of the horoscope, stop. Don't do it. It's not giving you truth. It's not giving you what God, God is there saying, come to me. Come to my word. You want to know what, what his will is for your life? You're going to find it here. Okay, you're not going to find it in the newspaper. You're not going to find it by channeling with, with a past relative. This is very serious. These are instruments of the occult, and we as believers need to purge these things from our lives. Instead of seeking those things, seek the truth in God and in his word. He will communicate to you. So let's continue in verse four. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. Uh, so what this verse tells us is that the Philistines have penetrated deep into the land of Israel, into God's country, the, the nation that God was building and expanding through the Israelites. At this point, the Israelites had, were so weak that, that the Philistines had penetrated so far east they were approaching the Jordan River. And so the land should have been Israel's and it was now theirs. This speaks to us about Saul's leadership as king. He was such an ineffective king, and part of his ineffectiveness was that he would not seek the Lord for what to do and how to, how to handle these situations. You know, if Saul had spent half the time that he spent chasing David and pursuing David, if he had put half of that time into keeping the Philistines at bay, he wouldn't be in the situation he's in. But here he is again, faced with, with the Philistines breathing down his neck, He's afraid, terror filled his heart and said, and again, Saul is immobile. He's ineffective, he's indecisive, he doesn't know what to do. And we've seen this pattern over and over and over. Why? Because he's afraid. Because he didn't ever learn, he didn't ever remember the scriptural truth of when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? 
See, Saul had actually seen this in practice in his own life when he first became king and had his first battle. He saw it repeated in his son Jonathan, his trust in the Lord. And then he saw it repeated again in David who was having success after success because David was submitting himself to God. But Saul had forgotten all that. He shut the Lord out of his life and he was no longer in the presence of the Lord. You see, Saul couldn't count on verses like, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will, behold, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He couldn't count on a verse like that because God wasn't his God. He was his own God. And all he was concerned about was his fame, his security, his own security, or his, his convenience, you see, Saul was often sorry for what he did, but he never repented. Now, church, I want you to hear something clearly. Sorrow is not enough. You see, there is a godly sorrow that the Holy Spirit talks about to us in 2 Corinthians, and it says this, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Did you hear that? A repentance without regret. Leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, Saul sorrowed and regretted. Oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, that was a stupid thing to do. But he never repented. And I'm afraid that that might be a description of some of us here that we're sorry, sorry for our sin, sorry for the mess up, but we haven't repented. So hear me on this. Sorrow in your heart is not a sign that God is working. It's not. Anyone can be sorry. But it's when we are submitted to the Holy Spirit and we are sorry, and that sorrow then leads to repentance. That is godly sorrow. That's when you know God is working. Now, just for definition, repentance just means this. I'm headed this way, I repent, I go this way. I'm heading for sin, I repent, I'm heading away from sin. So repentance is a decision. It's a Holy Spirit-motivated decision. It's not one we make on our own. It's a Holy Spirit-motivated decision to turn away from sin. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So you know we are saved by faith, I'm sorry, saved by grace through faith, right? There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. All we do is, is God showers his gift of salvation upon us. We receive that gift by the hand of faith. Okay, that's how we are saved. But the first sign of that faith is repentance. The evidence of that belief is repentance, turning from our sin. And believer, if you're caught in sin today, if, if you are stuck there and you're sorry for it, but you haven't repented, then submit to the Holy Spirit. Just say, Spirit, I need you. I'm tired of the regret Regret isn't from God. I'm tired of the regret. I want to repent instead. And if you're an unbeliever here and have not submitted to God at all, if, if you're living in your sin, it's a call to you. you. You know what your sin is doing in your life. 
and God is calling you, God is calling, leave that, repent, turn away from that nonsense and come into the joy, come into the joy, come into the beauty, the delight of being a believer because that's what God promises us. Now, granted, we still have problems in our life, right? Christians have problems in their lives. But one thing I will say is that if you repent of sin, you're not gonna suffer the consequences of that particular sin. Well, you may suffer from the consequences of past sin, but if I decide I'm not gonna steal a bank today, well, then I'm not, I don't have to worry about getting caught and suffer the consequences of that. But even aside from that, suffering is all over, and we all have suffering. We all have things that, that come up in our lives that are difficult. Wouldn't it be better to go through those difficulties with God at your side than go through them alone? You know, if you're at odds with God, you're not gonna win, right? I mean, you're, just, you're not gonna win if you're at odds with God. So submit to him and put, submit your struggles to him. You know, that verse said, so do not fear for I am with you. Well, he's with you if he's your God. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. You see, when we are in a fearful situation, we can relinquish that fear to him because he is our God and because he is with us. So repent. Let your sorrow lead you to repentance, which only the Holy Spirit can do. So let's move on in the passage. Verse six, he, Saul, inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. God didn't answer Saul. Now, wait a minute. I thought God answers prayer. We say that all the time, don't we? God answers prayer. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be open. He said, anything you ask in my Father's name will be given to you. So what's going on here? God didn't answer his prayer. It came out right out and said it. Well, let's, let me just make this simple. Saul had stopped listening to God long before this. You know, he never really sought God for the purpose of having relationship with God. Remember, even when we talked to Samuel, he would say, the Lord your God, not the Lord my God. See, God wants a relationship with us. Saul wasn't seeking that relationship. He was just seeking to find out what God was going to do. And so he was more interested in his own preservation than he was in wholeheartedly following the Lord. So he had long before silenced God, and now God was silent. Even later on in this passage, Samuel's gonna come back and say, well, I'll tell you what you need to hear, Saul, and he just repeats what God had already told, told Saul before. He's as if to say, you've heard it before. Here it is again. It's your chance to finally repent. Saul, will you do it? Will you submit to the Holy Spirit? So this is kind of negative, and we're looking at that. So I just want to take a moment and see how Saul is contrasted by someone else who happens much later in the scriptures. This is King Josiah. And the Lord comes and talks to King Josiah with these words. He says, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you. You see the connection here? Josiah was listening. Josiah had a humble heart. He was tender-hearted toward God, and he was listening. God, you're speaking. I'm listening. I'm there. I'm ready to hear it. 
And God said, oh, Josiah, because you're listening, I'm going to speak. I've heard you, and I'm going to speak. Isn't that beautiful communication? See, that's what it's supposed to look like. That's what Saul could have had. Saul wasn't fated to this. He could have had this himself, but he didn't. Josiah's heart was, was soft, tender-hearted. Saul was hard-hearted. And so we come to our third call in the, today's lesson. It's to be tender-hearted and humble before God. Listen to these verses. The Holy Spirit speaks through James. He says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. The Holy Spirit speaks through Job. The humble person he will save. And through Psalms, through David in the Psalms. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to them. And hasn't this been the theme throughout 1 Samuel? We saw this right when, when Hannah sung her praise song to God because he allowed her to become pregnant. She said, the proud, God will reject, but the humble, God will exalt. And that's what's happening all the way here at the end of the chap, at the end of the book. So let's move on again, verse seven. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is the medium, a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So here is Saul who had expelled all of the mediums and all of the spiritists out of Israel and now He's looking for one. My, how far he has fallen. But you know, it's not so far-fetched for any of us to be really strong on a conviction today. But after months, years of compromise, we wind up doing the very thing we said we would never do before. Oh, oh people, it's a call to be wholehearted and to be fervent and Stay with the Lord. Don't let those little compromises in. Be diligent in the way you follow God. Every time you compromise, you are headed the direction of Saul. Don't do it. So now, enter the scene with me. This is a movie. Just as we read this next, next section here, it's a movie. Picture it with me. It's a dark setting. So Saul disguised himself putting on other clothes. So you can picture him in sort of a, a, a burlap dark hood over so nobody sees his face. He's probably hunched over because he's the tallest man in Israel. How would she not know him? So he's probably hunched over, whatever, you know. And at night, he and two men went to, the, went to the woman. Well, of course it was at night. He was sinning. He needed the darkness for cover. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the, the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? She's concerned. Is this a sting operation? Is this just Saul trying to get rid of me? So Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Now, I just want to bring this up. This is crazy. Such unreasonable thinking. Saul... Okay, Saul had shut God out of his life, right? And so, so God is, is, is shut out of his life, but now he resorts to satanic practices to try to get a message from God. So he goes to this medium, and then he swears by the name of the Lord that this Satan worker will not be punished for breaking the law that he himself set up. 
It's crazy. It's just insanity, but that's what sin does to us. We just, like, we can't even think clearly. It just gets us into this place where, where we're not thinking logically. This makes no sense. Verse 11, then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he asked. So I don't know what happens here. In my mind, I picture the cauldron in front of her and you know the eye of Newt, the leg of Toad, and the smoke is rising. And, and maybe she's, I don't mean to make fun. I, I mean, seriously, this could be. And, and may, you know, maybe she's saying some incantation at this point. Well, what happens is crazy. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So we assume here that maybe Samuel, as he was being, being taken up from the dead here, called out Saul's name. But something happened that she suddenly realized this was Saul standing next to her. And she thought, here it is, the sting operation, and I'm caught. And Saul says, the king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming, out, coming up out of the earth. What does he look like, he asked. So apparently Saul could not see this figure. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Now, I just want, as a reader, as a reader, we remember the robes, right? Remember when Samuel was just a little boy and his mother came and dedicated him at the, at the temple. What did she bring to him every year? A new robe right? And do you remember when Samuel came to Saul and said, Saul, you have sinned against God, and God is going to tear the, tear the, the kingdom away from you. And Saul grabbed Samuel's robe and pulled on it, and it ripped. And Samuel turned to him and said, just as you have ripped my robe, God will rip the kingdom away from you. I wonder if this is the robe that Samuel was wearing here. I'm not sure. We don't know. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down, prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So many questions here. Could this woman actually bring up a righteous dead person from the grave? Did the fact that she screamed mean that, that she was as surprised as they were, that it actually worked? You know, was she just a fraud? Was she a fake? Uh, why could she see Samuel, but Saul couldn't? And why could Saul hear Samuel, but he couldn't see her? You'd be surprised, or see him. You'd be surprised at the amount of, of stuff that's written on this text. It's, it's just, it's way too much. But I, I, wanna, I wanna just keep this simple. If we just look at the text itself, I believe this is truly Samuel, whom God has brought up from the place of the righteous dead. Now, that sounds unusual. This is a strange passage. This is very unusual. But, you know, God did this. We're very comfortable with thinking about this in the New Testament when God brought up from the dead Moses and Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration, and they met and had a conversation with Jesus. It's the same idea. What this tells us is that there really is an afterlife and that the afterlife is not nothing. The afterlife is not eternal sleep. The afterlife is not unconsciousness. These men who, who were brought up from the righteous dead are conscious. They're able to communicate. They are aware. They have feelings. There is an afterlife. And, and we as believers need to take that seriously. I also think that it's unlikely that this woman who's steeped in occultic practices 
would have any power over a believer who has died. So I don't think this was her work. I think this was God working, and he was working for the purpose of bringing Samuel up to say to Saul, Saul, your last chance. This is it. Will you repent? And the fact that Samuel actually will speak, and we're going to look at this in a second here, will speak truth from God, I don't think that comes from the, from the father of lies. He's speaking truth. So God is doing something extremely unusual here. And what it says to us is that God will stop at no, at nothing in order to reach us. Denise and I are listening through a great book. Our library has the, the print copy. We, we have out the uh, audio copy of it called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. What the Lord did to call this man way beyond the natural to call this man to Christ. And we see this over and over. We're we're hearing more and more reports throughout the world of God doing amazingly unnatural, supernatural things to call people to himself. So verse 15, Samuel says to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by prophet or by dreams. So I have called you to tell me what to do. So Saul said to him, God has departed from me, but he left out that little detail, I have departed from God. And Samuel knew it. So he's seeking Samuel to tell him what to do, but Saul knows. Saul's the king of Israel. He's got an army on this side facing his enemy army on the other side. What's he gonna do? He's gotta fight. There's no, no question. Saul's not really interested in God's will. He's interested in God's plan. What's gonna happen to me as I go into this fight? He's not seeking the Lord. The commentator, David Guzik, says, King Saul has rejected and is currently rejecting God's previously revealed will. Since Saul didn't care to obey God in what he already knew, God will not give him more to know. This is a principle for us. Are you seeking God's will? Well, obey what you know. God has already given you so much of his will through the scriptures, through godly counsel. God is speaking to you all the time. Well, obey what you know, because then the more you obey, God says, ah, you're ready for more. Here's more. Want to know more of my will? Obey that. Here's more of my will. Oh, you obeyed that? Here's more of my will. Just keep following, John. Just keep following. I'm going to step it. See, that's what God's looking for in us obey what we already know, and then he'll give us more. He wants to communicate. Why? Because God's looking for wholehearted, open-hearted people. Saul had practiced disobedience so many times he cannot begin to hear or understand what God's will is at this point. And even now, he's just trying to find out what will happen to him. This is not about him getting right with God. So in verse 16, Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. This is horrible news. 
Saul was just told tomorrow he will be dead. He and his sons. Now if you knew that tomorrow would be your last day, what would you do? Well, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope what you would do is come to the Lord and say, my sin has kept me from following you. You have died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin because you so desired a relationship with me. And so now, Lord, I'm going to confess my sin and repent and follow you. And if you do that, the Lord will graciously welcome you home when you die. If you're a believer, but you've been a half-hearted believer, maybe carnal, maybe, maybe disobedient, maybe a churchgoer, but not much else. I hope that your last 24 hours would be getting right with God and saying, God, man, I wasted all that, but no regrets because I'm repenting now and I'm coming to you with an open heart. Receive me, Lord. If you're a follower who has wholeheartedly followed God, and, and you know what I mean by that. None of us are perfect in this, right? right? But seeking God with your heart then I hope those last 24 hours is a party, celebrating because you're gonna see Jesus, what you've been waiting for your whole life. Amen? That's right. That's right. So what did Saul do in his last 24 hours? Verse 20, immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and all that night. So again, look at what God does here. It's, it's beautiful. As a reader, this should just jump out at us. How did Saul fall? Face down on the ground, right? Oh, that reminds me of chapter 17. How did Goliath fall when David struck him with the stone? Face down. Oh, that should remind me of chapter five. How did the, the uh, statue of the God of Dagon, the Philistine God, fall when, when the Ark of the Covenant was placed before him? Face down. What happened to Dagon? What happened to Goliath? Their heads got chopped off. What's gonna happen to Saul after he dies? You know it. His head's gonna be t t chopped off by the enemy and they're gonna parade it around because they got it. I love that poetry. I love that stuff. I'm not happy for Saul, though. I'm not. Okay, so anyway, now uh, verse 21. When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me. Now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food so you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. But the men joined the woman, urging him, and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had fattened a calf at the house, which she butchered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. Man, what a sad day. Saul is going to die tomorrow, and all the woman can offer him is a meal. His flesh is going to perish the next day. Here, have some food. That'll make you feel better. People, what she should have said, what the two men who were with him should have said was, Saul, this is your final chance. Get your life right with the Lord. The Lord is calling you one last time. You can still repent. But he doesn't. Instead, they give him a meal. Do you think the meal made him feel better? I don't think it did at all. I don't think it, it did anything for him. People, that's all the world can offer us, though isn't it? 
That's all the world can offer is a good meal. There is an eternity of suffering awaiting all those who do not follow Jesus Christ. And we offer platitudes like, he's in a better place. At least her suffering has ended. Now, if hell is not a reality, and this is your last 24 hours, have a meal. Have a feast. Do whatever you want. Go out and party. Do, make it happen because this is it. But biblically, we know that that is not the truth. The truth is that there is a hell. Hell is a reality. And it is a, a reality of eternal conscious suffering. What we do in life, the decisions we make, our relationship with God really does matter in light of hell. And God has provided a way out of the fate of hell, and that is through faith in Christ Jesus. See, the whole world has the fate of going to hell until we receive the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has given us on the cross. Then by faith, when we receive that, we're exempt from that fate. We don't have to face that. Instead, we step into eternal life, eternal joy, eternal beauty, eternal wonder, eternal purpose. This entire event was for Saul to have another chance. Jesus tells us that this very night, your life can be demanded of you. So friend, if you're here today and you say, I have not been tenderhearted to God. Or you say, I, I feel, I feel the, the, the need to repent in my life. I've been harboring sin, sorry for it, regretting it, wallowing in it, but I want to repent of it today. Maybe you're here and you're craving truth, tired of the lies, tired of the nonsense. And, and maybe you just want to be released from your hell-bound fate and brought into faith, faith in Jesus Christ who will give you life. Well, in a moment, we're gonna sing a song and during that song, you have the opportunity to come forward to the front rows. Come and sit here. There will be people here who are willing to pray with you, willing to, to start you on your walk with the Lord, willing to, to come alongside you and say, you wanna repent of that? I'm with you, brother. I'm with you, sister. I'm gonna help. We have people who can help you with that. Now, I, I do need you to hear this because this has been a heavy message. This is heavy stuff. What a hard chapter this has been to preach. But I want you to know something. One thing I have not said, and clearly what the scripture is not saying, is that if you've sinned, God will not listen to you. Or that if you've messed up in your life, it's hopeless. There's no hope. That is not. You see, God is in the business of listening to sinners who cry out to him who cry out to him with an open heart, with a heart that says, Lord, I, I'm sorry, this is horrible. And I want forgiveness. I, I am desperate need for your forgiveness. And God just gives his forgiveness. You see, when we call to him like that, God forgives and he remakes us. And I just, we're looking at a very negative example in Saul, but I just want to put up some positive examples. The apostle Paul was a murderer. God turned him into an apostle. Rahab was a prostitute. God turned into becoming one, one of the family. The woman at the well, a string of bad relationships, one after another. And God heard her thirst and filled her. 
Matthew was, was a cheating scoundrel and he got to write one of the gospels in the New Testament. See, God remakes people. How about your name? John, he's a blank, a what, an addict, proud, whatever it is. God can remake me and he can remake you and that's what he does all the time to those who come to him with a whole heart and a soft heart and a broken heart. Jesus is calling you today. Is your heart soft? Are your ears open? Listen, as, as the ladies come and sing, come forward to the, to the seats in the front. Pray, come to the Lord. Ladies, come.